Welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're in season four of the 100 Masked Men series where I anonymously interview different types of men on dealing with relationships in today's modern world. Continuing with this week's theme on the end of things, Masked Man number 97 is the self-made man. He shares his story on fighting to be in his daughter's life, which is very different from the typical idea of a man being trapped into fatherhood and running out. His daughter is all grown up and just left for college, so he's now a retired dad and we both relate to figuring out where do we go from here once we've reached the end. In this episode, he tells me how being a father at a super young age made him more ferocious rather than soft. I think that's an important distinction to make because we always have this idea that men simply melt when they have a daughter, but perhaps there's more behind that. We talk about the inevitable mortality that comes with fatherhood and how being called daddy in the bedroom just isn't the same thing anymore. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show. My daughter's the catalyst for pretty much everything that I've ever accomplished from putting a fire under my ass to accomplish my goals and, and really focus on completing my dreams. And even like the selection of the women that I, I date, it was greatly influenced by who would be the best influence on my daughter. So, you know, that, that relationship has only gotten better. It's, it's only made me grow more. And it, it teaches me something new every time I interact with her. She's, she's learning and growing as we speak. And it's always, it's always great to have that thing that you can tap into to make you a better person if you're willing to listen. Mm-hmm. So what was your relationship like before your daughter was born? So how old were you when you had her and what was the relationship <laughs> like with her mother? 17 when my daughter was born. So I've been a dad longer than I've been anything else. So my relationship with her mom was great. It was like my, one of my first loves of my life, obviously. I was very young. Yeah, I was in love with her mom. Like, that was the love of my life. You know, I would have married her if things didn't go the way they did. How did they go? What happened? Oh, oh which is, <laughs> right. Right. You don't know my life story. So... <laughs> Well, I was 17 and I was like, and my daughter was born five months after 9-11. Not a great time to be in New York at that time. So her mom bounced and just tried to figure things out. So I didn't know where she was for a very long time, for about almost two years until I saw my daughter again. I saw her once on April 11th. And then I saw her once again about a year and a half later. That's what I mean by like if things didn't go the way that they, they went, it was just because like, you know, we were kids and we were just trying to figure it out with no resources, no help from our parents and no help from people around us because they were just trying to figure, everybody was trying to figure out their own shit. So we were kind of left around devices and we had to really dig deep within ourselves all the time. And that's what kind of made me who I am today is like that, that ability to like, overcome the next developmental challenge since a very early age. Yeah. It seems like you were forced to grow up really quickly. How did you navigate around that? Did you have any role models at that time? No, not really. All my role models were like self-taught, self-made men uh, and women. 
you know, like Octavia E. Butler. She's one of the best uh, science fiction writers ever. Bruce Lee, obviously. Not just like the cinema, his writing. His writing was, is so profound to this day is something that I live by. He was so well-read and was so influential with the people around him and such a trendsetter that I, and self-taught for the most part, he went to school for philosophy. That's gonna make a lot of money. <laughs> he went to, went to school for philosophy and ended up changing the landscape for martial arts forever. And, mm-hmm. you know, Miyamoto Musashi, the greatest Japanese swordsman who's ever lived. He's also self-taught, Malcolm X self-taught. So I modeled myself after these people because I knew no one was going to teach me how to be me besides me. So I had to really double down on who I would model after. So I just started doing what they did. Malcolm wrote the entire dictionary out from aardvark to the end. And I did the same thing. I just copied Bruce Lee's exact training regimen. And I just did it. He did a a thousand kicks a day, I did a thousand kicks a day. 500 punches, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever he was doing. He ran three miles, I ran three. I just modeled, modeled myself after greatness and stayed focused on what it was I was trying to obtain, which was like just self-improvement, but also elevating myself from, from where I am. I come from generations of poverty and a lack of resources. There's no such thing as generational wealth in my family. I'm the first person to break these chains of being a dad, being around. My dad wasn't around. His dad was not really around either. My mom's dad wasn't around. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was no parental father figures, mostly women around me. So it was very important for me to be a better man. Yeah. My daughter is the catalyst for all those things for me to follow through on my dreams because I had nothing else. It wasn't very comfortable for me to be at home. So I had to be outside doing what I had to do. So after the two years of your daughter's mom bouncing around and then you got to see her, then what happened? Like, did you raise her mostly or? Yeah, well, I was 19 when she came back. Mm -hmm. You know, grown ass man. She stuck around, stuck around for about five months before she got to a big blowout with my mom who was just, you know, they both were just, insane towards each other the entire time so that was gonna that was bound to blow so I come home one day and she's just gone again she just vanished so at that point I realized like look I gotta go to court there's no way I could do this amicably with my daughter's mother I have to go to court and petition for being her father now the way that they structure the petition for that it's not as nice as what I just described you know you don't petition to be a father you relinquish your right to contest a DNA result. That's what the the court phrases it as. So you're just submitting to the court. So that opens your ass up for all kinds of, but the fact that I initiated all these things looked good for the court because it's like, okay, this guy wants to be in this kid's life, right? I wasn't like chased down like your stereotypical black father that you see on like Maury or some shit like I initiated since I was 19 so I would go back and forth when she vanished she moved to Philadelphia so I would go back and forth to Philly to see my kid and it was like every other weekend and every 
other holiday, her birthday, my birthday, Father's Day. I started doing Kwanzaa so that I could see her for like a week instead of just like a, a day on Christmas. You know what I'm saying? It was like, you know, just all out war to, to be a part of my daughter's life. I don't think I've ever heard that story where the father is working so hard for that. Usually it's like you feel a guilt, right? Your father wasn't there. So you want to be there. So it's kind of like this, this guilt that usually the woman lays onto a man. So where did you get that drive to oh, want to be so involved? Well, well, I know what it's like to not have a father around, but also mm-hmm. I've had plenty of black women around me to be like, yo, you're going to end up just like your father. You're going to be just like these other dudes. You're going to be just like, I was like, fuck that. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, nah, I'm not like anybody you've ever fucking seen. Go fuck yourself. And I'm going to go do my thing. Cause they didn't help me either. You feel me? Like they weren't like, you know, let me help, you know, let me help, you know, my son, my nephew, my grandson to not be the same person. They didn't do anything but make things very uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. So that was enough for me. And I just carried that attitude with me <laughs> throughout raising her, unfortunately. Like just this militant, it just, it just made me more ferocious people say that having a daughter softens you but in my case no it made me more ferocious like i was it gave me more of a killer instinct it gave me more of a reason to go out and like do everything that i need to do before i die because i felt so much closer to death than you would normally feel when you're in your 20s like i didn't know partying i would work at the party so that i can experience what it was like to be young and watch like, you know, it's like like working at a bar and you're watching all these young kids, just like no kids, just like fucking living their life and shit. And you're just sitting there like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's cool. That's cool. But in retrospect, I did my best. I really did my absolute best. Trying so, to do well, which is fucking impossible. But, right. You know, <laughs> so it's impossible. You, did you experience like, some FOMO where you're like, you know what? I want to live my twenties. I want to live like these young people doing their, their lives yeah. being a father. So how did you deal with that conflict? I really had a lot of luck with finding very good hearted women early on. But again, I chose them because they would be good for my daughter. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily great for me. You know what I'm saying? Like everything I did was for my daughter. Like everything I did subconsciously was like, all right, I got to make this move because I think this will be good. I'm going to stick with her because she's a good person. Whatever was like convenient for me and my daughter, I did it. I didn't really care about myself that much. But I ended up like, you know, hurting people because they thought they were getting closer to me. And I was just like, I'm not even here. (laughs) I'm not even here, bro. Like I'm in fucking war mode. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I said, I get my daughter to junior high school. Okay, I got her to junior high school. I said, I get her through high school. She's also type 1 diabetic. So her hormones are, you know, all over the place. And she suffered from mental illness for a very long time, you know, with depression and anxiety and ADHD. You throw diabetes in the mix, it's a difficult situation to navigate. So, uh, and me being like really by myself, like I didn't have a good relationship with anyone in my family until the last maybe three or four years where I learned how to really communicate well through some training. But I think that what really kept me going was that just like, the problem is you can't turn it off. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you can't turn off that killer instinct to, to survive. I was ferocious to everyone. I was ferocious. I just didn't care sometimes. You know what I mean? There was no compassion in me. I did not care. And now I'm starting to realize, like, I need to dig, do things for me. She's in college now. Fine, I did it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know I went all over the world with that response, but, you know, you're catching me in a part of time of my life where I'm reflective about all these things anyway, because I'm trying to make sense of where I'm going next because of all of these things. So that's kind of the reason why I agreed to do this in the first place is to reflect and figure out what I'm doing next for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's huge. I mean, to spend a whole life in consideration of another person, I didn't even think about choosing partners based on that. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. You got to have, now I'm ready to like, finally, like, you know, I find that woman that like really inspires me to just be with her, man. And like, I wake up and I feel like I made the right decision. Like you look over on the, the pillow and you're like, oh. you know what I'm saying? Like, oh man, how the fuck did I pull this off? Like, I want to feel like that. Mm-hmm. You feel me? That's what everybody wants to feel like, but I don't know. The truer I am about myself, the closer I am to the source of what I desire. So whatever. so how are you learning about yourself now because you spent your entire life not thinking about yourself I learned through my daughter I learned so much it was Mm -hmm. an accelerated program of self-reflection let me tell you because you got to constantly you know be a better person you got to constantly work on yourself to be a single single dad the programming I had when I began as a father, cannot be the same programming you are when they're in college age. You can't just treat them like they're they're 11 years old when they're when they're 19. You can't. And a lot of parents make that mistake. So for me, I think that understanding that I have the capacity to overcome every developmental challenge that I have in front of me within me was a great realization to help me move forward in my life Mm -hmm. how did you deal with your daughter growing up and turning into a woman did you default that to the women that you were with to help nurture that conversation or is it something no man I was always comfortable with like I'm a feminist like I'm like I know that the definition of feminism is kind of like the n-word where Mm -hmm. it like varies in interpretation via the person right but the definition of feminist is someone who believes that women deserve equal rights to men. That's mm-hmm. fucking it, right? So I'm gonna go with that. You know, you're talking about black counterparts, black female counterparts, like I prefer womanist. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I'm gonna look it up. And I've definitely subscribed to being a feminist. And I think it needs to be more just alpha energy, male, black feminist. I'm just as militant about breaking somebody's face for racism as I am about equality for women. So it's, there wasn't a problem for me. The problem was that for me to, 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 to relate to my daughter at all, like, yeah. oh, you got your period? Great. This is what you do. This is what you like, do. We have the internet. This is not like 1984 where you're like the birds and the bees and they sit, <laughs> you know, like women, but this is best bullshit. They got the internet in their phone. They've been watching porn since they had the phone. Your kids have been watching porn this whole time, guys. 
<laughs> Sorry to break it. To, everybody thinks that their, their daughter is an angel. They're touching themselves early, especially if you have a girl. You learn a lot having a girl. You learn a lot about women. You watch it, watch your daughter. They're, they're slick. They're <laughs> slick, man. Go in their room. Step into their mind a little bit. You hid the stuff over here. Are you not hiding shit? Okay, you like me. Okay, all right, I see. I see what it is. Oh, I you remember know? hiding my, like hiding a thong and then my, oh, like, yeah. at, the, at the bottom of my drawer uh-huh. and then they found yep. it. Yeah. Of course they did. <laughs> you dumbass. Well, come on. Yeah. How old were you when you had that thong? How old were you when you got that? I was 14. 14 with the thong? I would have lost my nine. <laughs> That's a lot for your dad to like get mm-hmm. word. You thinking about hiding your panty line? at 14 because girls are fast and then the boys are like what they didn't even notice did they they're like Woo. yeah because we're stupid we're stupid until like 28 and even some of us are still stupid after that you know we're just so underdeveloped just mouth breathing <laughs> testosterone filled sacks of hormones until that shit kind of levels out for us but women are like women immediately so that was very helpful for dating whatever their patterns that their parents reward when you guys are children is what they just repeat when they're adults so dating women was always like oh okay you can see their emotional maturity and what their context and and what their preferences were immediately i have a daughter at home oh i know that trick you're gonna throw a tantrum is that what you're gonna do right now oh okay i see how it is you know, really, that that worked for, for 35 years? Really? Okay. All right. Oh, you can use your words. Okay. You can tell a story? Holy shnikes. That's amazing. It's, a, it's an interesting thing, what, what we reward people for. We reward people for all kinds of things. You ever had that friend that only comes to you for their bad news? They, they just unload on you. Yeah. All the time, right? Because you train them to do that. Yeah. You train them to be like, I'm here for you. Don't worry. Anytime you need to do that. And you ever try to get a word in when something's going bad for you because you think it's going to be reciprocated, but it, they go right back to their shit. They go, oh, that's exactly how I feel. And then you're like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Here it comes. Because we train them that way. It's the same thing with our adolescents. The same thing with, with children. We're infinitely complex humans. So I learned a lot from my daughter. She's so brilliant. I love that kid. That's awesome. I'll tear up. I'll, I'll tear up just thinking about my daughter, man. I love my daughter, man. I love her so much. You don't, you don't even know, man. You don't even know, man. She got me through everything. She got me through everything, man. Like she's been gone like three weeks now. I love her so much, man. I did everything for her. It's interesting to hear from someone that you know sacrificed his whole life for this person and you know this person isn't gonna do the same obviously you know because she's younger than you so she's not gonna be able to do exactly reciprocate the same way so what was she able to give to you in her existence i mean she gave me she already gave me a reason to live Mm. but most people struggle with their existence and like you know you often like you personally you're often like can't cool i'm gonna find myself i gotta find it i gotta Mm -hmm. find where i am i gotta where am i where <laughs> like it's I know outside. My, I, it's outside it's outside it's, it's not, not though it, it, 
Spoiler alert. It's not. It's not. <laughs> but I knew that so early in my life that I, I knew my purpose. My purpose was to train and teach people how to master themselves over any circumstances and realizing that, holy shit, this is a process of continuously realizing where you are in the cycle of, of dealing with your, your trauma. That's it. It's a cycle of repeated patterns. Whoever can identify the patterns as they arise in real time, those people are masterful in their world. They're the most influential to us. Those are the people that take control and take responsibility for their communication. Those people are the people we look to for answers because we've been experiencing the same thing for 10,000 years, but we all act like it's fucking new, but it's not new. The human condition, we all want the same thing. We want to be adored. We want to be loved. We want to be treasured. We want to feel like we matter, you know, in our short blip of an existence that we don't even know how long this shit's going to go for. But while we're here, we want to fucking experience the greatest sunset and the, the best orgasm and to leave something behind that outlasts us right that's all that's what we're here for and everything else is a distraction from that mm -hmm. so as you can see it's quite prevalent it's quite uh, obvious that so surface level and easy to talk to <laughs> <laughs> of course so I mean, if you said that your daughter gave you a reason to be alive and, you know, she's now her own woman and she's off to college and she's, she's living her life now and right. you're on a different part of your journey. So what right. do you see as another way that's going to keep you alive, independent of others, including her? I'm now, now I can start my life. And I, and I think that she, she felt the same way. She was like such a, a profound speaker. You know, she was like, she felt the burden of her existence on me, which is which contributed to her depression. I always told her, like, listen, I'm stressed out, but that shit don't got nothing to do with you. That has to do with, like, me coming to terms with my mortality. That's why every man is afraid of having a child, right? It's not about the responsibility. It's not about the death of his own ego and caring about something else. Those things enrich your life. You know, that dude is scared of confronting his own mortality. Because now when you call him daddy in bed, it means something completely different. <laughs> so how is that mortality, though? How is what? that daddy, father, the archetypical superego? Mm -hmm. The death of the father is prevalent in all archetypes across humanity, right? Luke Skywalker's father, what happened? Spoiler alert, in case you didn't <laughs> see Star Wars in the last 50 years. He dies. Shang-Chi. You seen Shang-Chi yet? No, I haven't. Come on, son. What? <laughs> I stopped watching movies and listening to music. You stopped watching and... movies. You What? Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll have to talk about that off the air, <laughs> off the record. Uh, yeah, Shang-Chi was a marvelous movie. Again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but archetypes right? It's part of how we see ourselves. The super isn't ego. that the same thing, like, as you're getting older? Or, like, 
you just see mortality more um, just because you're a father, like even if you're a young father. Yeah, I mean, like I was confronted with mortality from several different angles as a black man in America with a child. You feel me? Mm -hmm. That's the vibe. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I'm a black man. Yo, CNN said I'd be dead by 21. Like, you know what I mean? Like when I was a kid, they were like, yo, more black males are being killed every day by the police, gang violence. And then I had a kid at 17. You're like, oh, this this thing hopefully will outlast me. That means I inevitably have an end. You're mm-hmm. confronted with mortality. I, my oldest uncle died before I was born. He was 30 years old. He had 20 kids. He was 30. The average black male in the 90s, average life expectancy was 65. Mm-hmm. You don't even get social security yet. So mortality is like, all right, bro. That's why I just embrace the spooky ass lifestyle. Wearing black every day and like, you know, skulls and shit. But like, it's just an extension of me acknowledging the inevitable. You make friends with that and the rest of life is pretty easy. Do you think oh, that's right, the greatest right, fear? Right. Uh, no, mortality? the greatest fear, no. The greatest fear is clearly public speaking. But I think that... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's 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 one of the biggest avoidances. Uh-huh. We act like we ain't gonna die, but we're gonna die. You're gonna die. I'm gonna die. We everybody, everything is going to die. The sun's gonna die, and it's all good, yo. We were here. We were here. It was all right. Some aliens are here. This recording probably, right? And they're like, wow, these people really didn't know what the fuck they were talking about at all. <laughs> <laughs> They know what the fuck they were talking about. I just had the idea of like, there could be totally a potential that I interview someone and then they're not there anymore, you know? But right. I had this expectation that I would like follow up with them and think that they're you just going to be there forever. But I don't know that. They could just be run over by a truck tomorrow. Like, how would I so, ever know? I literally almost died over COVID. I was diagnosed with cancer. I didn't tell the fucking soul. I just didn't care about how people would interpret it because they're going to make it about them anyway, right? Oh, my father had cancer. My dad had, I had cancer. Like, I don't fucking care. I got cancer, nigga. It really doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? I don't give a shit. Who the fuck? And then Chadwick Boseman died. That shit hurt. Yo, BP died. Black Panther died, man. I was hurt. I was so hurt. I just sat there right on this couch and just didn't know how to cry didn't know how to do none of that shit i just didn't know what to do so i kind of just gave up and started like becoming an alcoholic then i said you know what let me get my daughter to college then Mm -hmm. i can die i'll die when my daughter gets to college i was giving up i was just like first two weeks i put on a bunch of weight i was drinking all the time and i was just like oh pandemic great i think everyone was like freaking out that's how i felt before the pandemic happened so i was like oh we're all on the same page great fantastic nice little reprieve (sighs) my clients needed me yeah they needed me i was like bro they were like yeah bro you're like the only normal thing we have i was like i guess i'll work on myself again i guess i'll start doing shit that i fucking hate like running you know i ran every day i started getting fat you know 
you know, your pattern is getting revealed to yourself during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. All the relationships that you had, like, oh, you know what? I don't even really like your ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know what I'm you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about, girl. You know, <laughs> you know what happened to everybody during the pandemic. All people fell in love. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the one. Now, this is the one that's gonna get you through this terrible ass situation you want to distract yourself with sex and use this person as a placeholder in the equation of figuring out your life this person is x you gotta solve to find x but that's a person though when you treat people like they're an item as opposed to treating them like they're this fluid human thing that is constantly changing evolving and is a perpetual moving target that can never be quantified then things get a little bit more complex and when you have respect for that i think when you have respect for that the pieces fit better but when you think that someone is just like oh this person would never cheat on me because i'm this it's like no that may sound oddly specific but it's like any expectations you place on someone can always be negated you know they're not this static thing Mm. have a little more compassion in your heart and for the complexity of what it is to be human. So I think we all learned that during the pandemic and I've trailed off into another. I think that's interesting that you said like, oh, this person won't cheat on me because I am this way. Like you are mm-hmm. really uncheatable because- I'm uncheatable. Of your behavior. I'm uncheatable. <laughs> Have you seen me? I'm the best I've ever lived. Oh shit, you cheated? Damn. There goes my ego. Obviously I- this person has needs that I don't know anything about and they're too ashamed to tell me about. You know what I'm saying? Instead of like, we just make shit about ourselves. You know, we're the main character in our story. It is what it is. Yeah. And it's hard to make space to put someone else in there because everything is supposed to be a reflection to prove your untreatableness. I guess so. If you make it about the ego, mm-hmm. but if you make it about real genuine connections, then it's about a conjunction of emotions and people and a celebration of our existence cheers (laughs) cheers so have you had a relationship like that where it was a celebration of of two souls every relationship i've ever had is a relationship of souls yeah at their highest of highs absolutely when i communicate to people these days i communicate to their higher self i make sure that i'm speaking to something that they resonate with it on such a profound level that it speaks to their core because that's who they really are. They're not their shortcomings and shitty perceptions of themselves. And they're, they're, you're not your lowest point and you're not yourself when you're in the club on a high either. Your truest self, you felt it. It felt seamless. It felt like there was no resistance and you can cut through the wind faster than the speed of light. So like, that's who I'm talking to. And I know that that exists in every person. So when I speak to people, I'm never speaking down to them. I'm always speaking up to their higher self. And that is, that's how you make profound connections, which, I, which is like my mutant power, I think, in this stage of my career. It's like, okay, how do I connect with this person in a profound way and touch their heart? Which fucks me up and gets me in trouble sometimes. Sometimes people are just looking for some candy. Uh-huh. You know, and you know, I, when you a whole meal, I think it's imperative that we 
speak to each other's higher selves. At least this is my personal experience, and I try to do that. Tell me about you. (laughs) I want to know more about you. So I try to bring to see people's higher selves. When I bring in men in a romantic scenario, that's when that breaks down. So if I meet Mm. them on a platonic level, sure, I get to see their true self because there isn't an expectation or an assumption of like, or a standard of what our relationship is going to be like. As soon as we bring in a romantic context, I feel like together we fall down to the lowest common denominator. So if he's not going to rise up to this level that I see Mm -hmm. him at, we're both falling down to Ah. a lower level. And at this point, someone has to go, right? Right. Because if you want to stay up, you got to go. Um, and if this person won't, isn't willing to go up, that's the decision that he's making. And what I experience most of the time is he walks out. Right. He won't even try. Because you can't meet your expectations. But it wasn't an expectation. It was just to see you there, you know, because I see you in this value. So I think ah. this is, um, I don't know, it's a question for you, a complication where like, at least a lot of women come to me and they say, I value this man so much, you know, whether it's my father, mm-hmm. my son, my my colleague, my, my husband, whoever, and I want to see him for who he is. And I try so hard to reach him there. And all I get is shut down Mm -hmm. and running away, you know, like they're just out the other door. So what Mm -hmm. are your thoughts on that? If you're someone that always sees people in their highest self? Well, when you see people, their higher self, there's no judgment. And when you approach someone with judgment or with a, with a, how you perceive them, Mm -hmm right? That's not who they are. There's always going to be some incongruencies. If I say, oh my God, you know, you're so incredible. Oh my God, Amanda, you are the sexiest woman I've ever met in my life. You know, you're already feeling uncomfortable because you're like, really? (laughs) You're like, never? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, damn, that's a high, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. So when you approach someone with that kind of uh, reality and it conflicts with their perception of who they are, then, you know, you're going to get that like shutting down. You're going to, you're going to get that, that kind of reaction with a a man that's not a sociopath anyway. Mm. You know, someone, someone that's not like, imagine if he did believe that, oh my God, you're the sexiest man I've ever seen. And they're like, I know, I know. That'd yeah. be such a turnoff, right? What you want to hear is this like, wow, really? Holy shit. Hmm. You know, like, you, you know, I'm so happy that you see me this way because I see you the same way. You know, I think to, you know, to further a- answer your question, you have to, you have to see people for who they truly are. In order for that to happen, you can't dip into your interpretation of who they are. Right. You're not a great communicator or listener if you are dipping too much into what you perceive them as. Who they are is totally different from what you perceive them as. Right. So you're going to have to, you know, reinforce their reality when it comes to how you perceive them. Because, you know, if it conflicts, you're going to have some difficulty. Mm -hmm. What I would suggest uh, for women that do that is learn to speak to the man you're, you're dating, if you're dating a man, learn to speak their language. This is actually universal for everyone. You know, whoever you're dating, listen for the language that they're using in order to communicate to them. If I'm going to China, I'm not gonna be speaking Russian. 
Yeah. Right. I'm going to speak whatever dialect of, of, of Chinese is there. If I'm mm -hmm. in the Providence that they speak Cantonese, I'm going to speak Cantonese. If it's Mandarin, Mandarin. If it's Bukanese, Bukanese. Like, whatever. So it's really interesting that, you know, you come in with an approach like, but I see you as your higher self. And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like higher self, like, dude, I work at Kmart. I feel like shit every single day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are you fucking talking about? I see your potential. Like, that's a projection mm -hmm. because we're not looking at who they really are. We're not looking at, we're looking at an interpretation. We're looking at something that we've conjured up in our imagination to fit our needs. Mm -hmm. This is my white knight. This is my final person, right? The search is finally over. I can, oh, I can finally rest, get fat, eat snacks, whatever mm -hmm. it is that you want to do with your person when you finally find them. Travel the world, show the world, leave our mark, have children, whatever it is that gets you off when you find that, you know, that special someone you're gonna have you're gonna figure out that that special someone's got to be you first which i don't think anybody really wants to fucking hear especially when they're lonely as shit post pandemic it's a journey that you have to go through i've learned so much this weekend my birthday weekend and you know i'm supposed to go to this wedding flight got canceled and then i'm sitting there with the mother of the bride who can't see her daughter get married mm -hmm. i'm sitting there with her and this is my family and i'm like Ooh, I gotta get out of here but like I feel like shit that I can't leave because it's like it's that's it's not cool you know I'm, I'm worried about myself so I can't really enjoy myself because I know I'm being a selfish piece of shit you know I really want to like enjoy my birthday weekend you know mm -hmm. there's bigger fish to fry out here you know what I'm saying like can you imagine putting yourself in that position like you know when it comes to yourself you, you really got to enjoy being where you're at man sometimes just really awareness of the direction of where your source of focus is coming from that indicates everything whenever I get lost whenever I get I fumble around and I'm unhappy or something I go back to that place I'm like okay where where am I trying to go how am I talking to myself and you do a little check-in you ever do that all the time all the time how often do you check in with yourself mm, four or five times a day yeah do you set an mm. alarm no i i have like an internal clock like a feeling okay that's like so i don't watch tv anymore right so there's right. one time that i watched tv for a little bit and because mm -hmm. i was in quarantine so i watched a little bit of tv and then i came out of it and i was like why am I having dreams thinking about these characters in these TV shows? You know, like, <laughs> like, it's, right. it's convoluting my mind. So right. I went into Can silence. Yeah, I went to silence for like a weekend. No phone, uh -huh. no nothing, just silence, meditation. And I had to like meditate out all of these stupid TV thoughts, you know? Wow. So if, it's, if that's just TV, what right. happens with music? What happens with right alcohol what happens with like all of these other distractions porn you know like all of these things right. that are going right. to add into that so if i'm feeling edgy where i can't like stay still for 15 minutes then i'm like oh i need to i need to check in i need to figure mm -hmm. out what this is so then i'll meditate for 15 minutes and see like why can't i last longer why do i instantly right. want to get out of this seated position you know and mm. then 
I'll figure out what that source is. But what I learned right. is like, it's not popular, you know, because people are like, what a waste of time. You're just sitting there literally with mm. nothing. And it's kind of like, what kind of people say that? Everyone. People, that, everyone, a lot of people. Yeah. Most people, most people like, think it's a waste of time to meditate. So this is the thing. I think most people tell me they see the benefits. No, they are aware of the benefits because they, uh, they might feel calm after doing 15 minutes. You know, they, they understand the good stuff. It's kind of just the same as like vegetables are good for you. You know that right. there's a lot of proof right. here, but you're not going to eat your vegetables every day because you don't feel like it or you don't like vegetables or, you know, it's the same thing. Right. It's universally known that meditation mm-hmm. is obviously good for you, but your personal right. relationship with meditation may not be the uh, same, but you might think it's a waste of time. Exactly. That's why people hire people like us is to create an association pattern. Mm-hmm. Right. People hire me to train, but they really hire me to create a positive association to training in a profound way. Yeah. That's all I can do. So they become addicted to it. What they do outside of the gym, that's on them. Exactly. You know, and then while I'm, I have you, I influence you subtly to make better decisions mm-hmm. over time. And each person is different. So it's the same thing. It's the subtlety of understanding, okay, this is affecting me this way. I don't like that. Let's do something else. Mm-hmm. right let's do something yeah. else why not that's the hard yeah. thing what i thought about recently was every decision i make has to be the right decision so mm. if you just said there like it didn't work out or i don't like doing it or i don't feel good doing it i'd force mm-hmm. myself to stay in there because i right. made that decision because i can't admit this is my ego talking i can't admit to myself that i made a bad decision or the wrong decision you know right and, and- I'll right. beat myself up about it. And I think and that's, what if a that's a big struggle. And what if that's like in a, you can't, like in that context of like a fight, mm-hmm. that's fine. But if you're in the context of a relationship, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not no bueno. Like I can't lose. I can't yeah. lose. Nah, son. Nah. You can't bring that, that mentality into a relationship because then, you know, it's not losing or winning. It's what it is what it is. What it sounds like with you is that I think you just got to have more awareness of your pattern. Because every pattern that you have, every response that you have, and we all have, have a useful context, has a useful purpose in a specific context. Yeah. When it comes to your business, being relentless in the business, great. Being relentless in the right time in a relationship to get something done for the right reasons, then it works out. But if we're clouded by, I don't know, our ego, mm-hmm. it very rarely pays off. Yeah. Very rarely pays off. But if you find you program your subconscious mind to search for the things that you truly desire and look for which i think you're doing you're doing like a palate cleanse of all the garbage and only doing things that nourish your soul no candy mm-hmm. right no candy no candy just full meals baby <laughs> eating good if it if it don't fill if it don't fill my spirit i don't want it mm-hmm. and i think i don't know if you'll be able to resonate with this because you're kind of starting this new life for yourself now 
And I'm also doing that too. I'm kind of retiring as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I feel a lot of guilt because I'm too young to be retired in, you know, modern society's definition of that. And Mm -hmm. so I try to create struggles for myself to validate, Mm. you know, being in this space. And when you become a new version of yourself and then your old version dies, you still have to go back into the old environment that the old you thrived in. And then now you're going to be with all these people that expect you to be the old you. You're in an environment where you have to act like the old you and you're conflicted with this. So Mm -hmm. I stopped drinking and I decided to go to a speakeasy bar. And old me would have loved a speakeasy bar to try out all these different cocktails, to you know, get mm-hmm. into the vibe to even find the password, the whole, the whole thing <laughs> I get there. And here right. I'm drinking an orange juice, right. Just at the bar. And right. I feel so out of place. And I'm like, I can't enjoy this because mm-hmm. this isn't a space for new Amanda. Unfortunately, right. I'm in a space where everyone here is encouraged to drink. So I'm mm-hmm. creating a conflict deliberately by walking into the space do I even want to be in the space anymore? And if I don't, Mm. like, how can I find a better environment that accommodates new me? Or is there a balance? You know, like, what are your thoughts on on entering an old space? I'm always in an old space. My family has had this apartment for 50 years, five zero. Yeah. There's so much trauma here. I've seen people get arrested, die. I want to get the fuck out of here so bad. This mirror behind me is from the 70s Hmm. i'm constantly you know i live in the same neighborhood i grew up in i see my friends that have not done as well as i have every day they try to reconnect and like you know reach out but it's like bro i'm like light years i've been working on myself for 20 years now since i was 17 that's 20 years right (laughs) yes yes that's 20 years (laughs) you know i've been working on myself since day one so when you're in, in an environment like that, you have, I don't want to give you a dilemma. I love, mm-hmm. I like to give you options. Okay. Okay. You like, you like options though. You love options. I can just <laughs> tell. Yeah, you do. You're like, no, 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 no. You used to like trying out those cocktails, but now you like a much more enriching experience. You don't want a distraction from what's real. So mm-hmm. if I want to, if I can offer you an alternative to these things, I would say, Number one, be, you know, that, that, that quote that everyone has, every you know, white girl has in Cabo, be the change you see in the world, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like in an in yeah. Instagram, you got to literally be influential enough to create that change, to create a culture within the culture that supports what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like I've done it in my gym. My gym has no toxic masculinity. It's got no bullshit, meathead, agro, agro vibes to it. It doesn't fly because I realized early on that as a black man, I'm considered a threat everywhere that I go. Yeah. However, I could use that energy to be constructive by influencing the space that I'm in to be a positive realm. Right. If I'm the most dangerous thing in here, quote unquote, then I can also be the most positive and influential. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that, then I can create the environment that I'm looking for: peaceful, collaborative, 
inspiring. That's mm-hmm. something that you can you have the capacity of doing as well. Once you're in tune with the source of who you are, those options are available to you and those that think like you. And your life feels and seems so enriched because of it. Yeah, you know, that reminds me because here I was trying to like pigeonhole myself into an old reality, you know, mm-hmm. realizing that this no longer fits. So obviously I'm feeling restricted. And then I right. thought, what kind of world would it be if there are other people like me that uh-huh. that don't drink, that, you know, want an enriched experience? What kind of bar would they go to? What would that exactly. look like? And uh-huh. how can you make that happen? Because that's the that's future, fabulous. right? That is the future. That is the future. That is your future. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's an inspiring role to take. I would love to be at that bar. This is actually the first uh, beverage I've had in two months. I haven't drank for a while and decided to have one because, I, I don't know, I feel like I want to see if it's actually worth it anymore. Interesting. You, for, you forget. You forget why you, you used to drink. But it really is just because before it was for a different reason. It was like, I'm, I was high, I'm trying to disguise my suffering. I'm trying to navigate my pain without experiencing it but every tool is useful when it's in the right context mm-hmm. right now it's helping me find my thoughts a little bit easier a little bit more fluidly but you know I think for you to continue on that path I think I will go down that what, what do we drink for what do we drink for we drink to 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 make it easier to connect but yeah. you're already in tune with yourself they're not yet so yeah. now how do, now the need is how do I get to where you're at? Can you teach me? Can you show me? Can you inspire me to be courageous enough to step out of my own comfort zone without inebriating myself, without changing my brain chemistry? That's the goal. You got to mm-hmm. provide a space that is so enriching that they are convinced People are convinced that their life is so dope they don't need to drink. Yeah. That's the real juice. Yeah. That's the juice, baby. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. That's what I, I live for. I think it's interesting, like your relationship to certain mm-hmm. tools, like whether it's alcohol, right? Because right. the way right. I looked at it was it was a way for me to fit in. I didn't even like ah, drinking, you know? Right. And then I learned my problem was not even about that. It was about saying no. So if someone's like, do you Mm -hmm. want to drink? I was too awkward to say no. So I'd be like, sure. And then they'll be like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know, whatever you're drinking. You know, I would just agree. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that was my, my learning to develop. But I think when I overcome that drinking will be a different relationship with me. Exactly. And you can start again. And then we can start again. See, that's such a beautiful, profound realization. Mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful you're in a beautifully profound place aren't you yeah you're yeah a, thank you you are you're in a very enlightened place and with enlightenment comes isolation and with isolation feels loneliness but you should never feel alone because i really hear what you're saying people will look to you for inspiration because they're too afraid to be alone but once you break through that barrier, it's untapped potential 
and love, self-love, real self-love. Not like bullshit crystals and horoscopes and fucking, you know, like real self-love within you. You don't need anything to tap into what you have. And you're proof of that. I want to ask you, what does love mean to you? Love means seeing the person for who they truly are and not judging them, appreciating them. I'm all about the celebration of the individual. You're only going to get this experience with the person that you're with, with that person. You're you're only going to get it with them. Mm -hmm. Cherish it. I think that's a big thing. Like we don't realize that your version of love is only going to be unique to each person that you meet. Right. But yeah, we get that again. Yeah, we give the same pattern to every single person thinking it's going to be the same. No, nobody's the same. And then you're never going to be the same you in that relationship because they're going to bring out different things as well. Exactly. Be ready to experience something different. And most people are not ready to do that because they're not ready to let go of the past Mm -hmm. relationship. Let that shit go, bro. Get something better. You can get something better, yo. You know what I'm saying? Whole milk. 1% 1% milk, 2% milk. Oh, <laughs> shit, y'all niggas got oat milk over here, bro? hmm There's more options. There's more options, dog. You love options. You, you love options. <laughs> you love some options. I, I hate options, actually. You love options. <laughs> you love options in the right context. Maybe. You, you're, it sounds like you're indecisive, but... A dilemma freaks you out and being forced into a choice is like, uh-uh, that's not for me. So what's left? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to be like, you got this or you got that. Nobody like that shit. And nobody likes like, this is what your, your path is. You're like, no, let me figure it out. Let me figure it out is code for options. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Come on, girl. I'm listening to you. I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm listening to you now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mother 97, 96 other guys, they weren't listening. They weren't listening. I hear what no, you're saying. It's funny. Yeah. Like a lot of the beginning guys, they were just trying to impress me, you know, just saying, why? I don't know why. It doesn't even matter. Oh, right? That's so weird. You didn't even know this person. You trying to impress them. Fuck you look like, yo, take a step back, bro. I'm a huge fan of taking, I'm a huge fan of taking a step back. Because now you can see. You ever take a step? Oh, there it is. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's interesting how much that matters though. Like that somebody likes Mm. you. Even if you don't really like them anyway, you just want them to like you. Right. Yeah. Always dressing to impress. Yeah, externally motivated people bum me out sometimes. And in certain contexts, you know, I'm watching Conor McGregor fight people and he's like looking up at the, at the projector that's showing his image while he's fighting. I'm like, bro, you are fighting a dude right now. Mm-hmm. He's trying to kill you. His livelihood depends on him breaking your face and you're looking up at the time and they're like, how amazing you look. Yeah dog you're not in the right place man he wasn't like that before and he'll never be like that again 
and we all hope that he'll find that space where he'll become great again, but he won't. He won't. Because he's obsessed with himself. And by the time you realize who you are, the actualization of self, mm -hmm. the self has already moved on to something else. Yeah. Because we're a moving target. Do you feel what I'm saying, Amanda? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We're always yeah, changing. We're, That's the only thing. We're always question. changing. Tomorrow, mm -hmm. you're going to be somebody else, Amanda. You're going to be somebody else. And ain't nothing nobody can do about it. Not you, not me. Ain't nothing nobody can do about it. Yeah. And we're holding on to the past. Allah the u'alam. Allah u'alam. Only mm -hmm. God knows. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, like uh, it's more like a like uh, only God knows. Hey man, you coming out tomorrow night? Uh, Allah u Allah. <laughs> <laughs> only, only we'll God see. Knows. <laughs> we'll see. God only knows, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my last question to you is: Out of everything we spoke about today, mm -hmm. is there anything that jumped out to you that you would like to invite another man to elaborate on in another episode on the show? Um, I'd like another man to elaborate on what it means to be a man in today's society while, you know, just what it means to be a man in, this, in today's society, mm -hmm. you know? I think it's been 21 years since Fight Club came out and they asked the question like, what does it mean to be a man? And mm -hmm. now it's time to ask that question again, right? Like it's time to be like, all right, what purpose do we serve in our society? And it isn't just to make money, be stressed out, have a heart attack and die <laughs> anymore. Now we can have a much more fulfilling lifestyle with people that we definitely enrich our lives and what does that enrichment look like i'm around a lot of people with a lot of money and they all want the same thing so i think that it's important for men to understand what is real you know what really is important to live a lasting impression and a lasting uh um legacy of influence that helps humanity move forward in a way that kind of gives back rather than self-serving. We are so close to the end. I really appreciate that this complete stranger was able to truly see me and everything behind the 100 masked men. I think at the end of the day, we're all just looking for connection and everything else doesn't really matter all that much in the end. Make sure to subscribe and if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram and I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.